We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Steven, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We do appreciate any ratings or reviews and all subscribers to our YouTube channel. That being said, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is our sponsor, who has been great for us. They've been an amazing partner to work with, and they have some great products to make sure that you are feeling your best for the upcoming summer months. If you're feeling a little frisky downstairs, they have the Lawnmower 2.0. They also have anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are a personal favorite of mine, as well as ball deodorant and some amazing smelling cologne. If you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping your purchase. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast, presented by the the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Excuse me uh, (laughs) while I gather myself. Uh, My name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me today, as always, are my guys Alex and Tyler. Alex, I assume you've had a busy day watching some tennis, some soccer. How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm not going to talk about any of the tennis, uh, but the soccer was good. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, Sorry for all of our English listeners. Uh, That's a tough one to lose on. Yeah, that was a tough one. Heartbreaker for for the fellows across the pond. But it was a good game. I had a lot of fun watching that one. Um, Tyler, how are you doing today, man? And uh, update everyone on your puppy, dude. It was big, some big weekend for you guys. Absolutely. I'm doing well today for two reasons. One, I don't watch soccer because that's a horrendous sport to watch, and I can't believe that my two co-hosts are watching that crap. And I pray to God that my kids don't grow up liking and wanting to play soccer. Also, I'm doing well because... Uh, I got a new puppy. She's eight weeks old. Her name is Galadriel, which everybody knows. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. So Galadriel is her name. Uh, she's wonderful. She's super sweet. She's already potty trained, basically. She knows how to sit and come. And she's just a wonderful dog so far. And I love her very much. Don't laugh so hard, make Alex. Sure you, yeah, make sure you check out Tyler's Instagram and Twitter to see some uh, puppy pics. Because I know all of us can use puppy pics in our lives. As for the soccer man, like... I generally do not watch soccer. Like, I can never sit down and watch, like, the MLS. It's just sure. like, it's so hard to watch. Yeah. But, like, I'll watch the big games. Like, I watch the Copa America stuff and okay. the Euro Finals and things like that. So I'm not, like, super into soccer, but, but I'll watch the big stuff. When the World Cup happens next year, I'll watch that. 
Uh, I think Alex is a little more into that than I am, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, speaking of the Copa America, I didn't know why they were filming in like 144p. Yeah, uh, the entire game <laughs> it was so was just bad. Like the worst camera I've ever seen, <laughs> and comparing it to the ESP <laughs> Pro is just like, what the hell is this? I know we got the 8K camera at the <laughs> NBA Finals game, zooming in on the fans, and we got the Copa America filmed with like a Razer cell phone. It was so bad. Those were great. Um, <laughs> it was a good game though. So. Uh, got a good episode planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about the hiring of Alex Stern and the Chargers expanding their analytic analytical department. Um, we are going to talk about uh, some of Anthony Lynn's comments concerning Justin Herbert and the direction of the franchise that he shared uh, with Compas on the Beat, which I thought was an interesting interview. Um, and then we'll go, we are going to continue our positional breakdowns, and today we're going to talk about the Chargers linebackers. So... Uh, we're going to start, like I said, with the hiring of Alex Stern. Um, Tyler, we'll start with you here after kind of looking into him uh, or, or potentially, you know, just like what are your general thoughts on the hiring of Alex Stern and the expansion of the analytic analytics department for the Chargers? Uh, business as usual for the Chargers under Staley so far. Here's what we're going to do. And then, yep, we walk the walk, talk the talk, all the same. You know, they want to get into analytics, so they hired Cody Shade. It's like, okay, that's cool. They got a guy in the building. Now it's like, let's bring in another guy who's you know, supposedly well-regarded and did well in the analytics bowl or whatever it's called, which is that the new nerd thing? I have no idea. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy for him to have made it. And, you know, we may have some news about certain things that I can't talk about because I was told not to. But, you know, there are things we can talk about eventually, uh, mid-July. Uh, so, but, I'm, you know, I'm happy this is happening. The only concern, I guess, that I would have is who's, like, the main guy in charge of are there too many cooks in the kitchen at one point? Is Stern kind of more that guy? Is it Shada? Like, I don't know exactly what their roles are going to be. Hopefully they can all get along, but like, I don't, I don't know how this works. Like, do you have one guy who like sends in the final decision? Do they both talk and then give something to Staley? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know how that's really going to work. It sort of sounded like how I read it is that Shada is the more on-the-field kind of guy. I mean, mm. they, they both will kind of be involved in that, but it sounded like he's kind of going to be the one in Staley's ear and that Stern is going to be also still like the general research you know, leader of the department, you gotcha. know, so to say. But uh, I, I don't know if that's the case. That could be me talking out of my ass based on a paragraph I read. Who knows? <laughs> um so yeah no but i think anyway more analytics is a good thing uh and the fact that we're going in that direction after you know a decade of caveman football uh regardless of whoever the coach was Mm -hmm. uh is a good direction uh nonetheless so i'm i'm pretty happy with the hire um yeah, like, like yeah, Tyler said, there's a couple things we can't talk about uh, with this hire, but let's just say some people might know some people, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, so maybe we'll have something planned for you. But uh, yeah, in general, I'm enthused about the hire, uh, and it's just kind of a good direction for the Chargers to go in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a great direction. I'm, I'm curious to see how this one works out, too, but... You know, my understanding of the analytics department under Anthony Lane was that it was like one intern who like barely had a say in anything (laughs) who like on game days would like occasionally like you know pipe in and be like hey this is what the analytics say like that's basically what i've gathered now they have that same intern i think and then they have shada and now alex stern so um obviously the expansion you know doubling the analytical department is is great news 
Um, you mentioned the, the data bowl. Alex shared this, this quote with us. So I'll read it here. Um, where that kind of explains what the data bowl is. And he said, it's, uh, this is from ESPN, Seth Walder. He said, this is, this is described by event officials site as a quote, annual sports analytics contest that challenges members of the analytics community from college students to professionals to contribute to the NFL's evolution of the use of advanced analytics and quote. And then he goes on to say, according to the page, contestants use a combination of traditional football data and next gen stance to analyze current trends and varying player performances while attempting to push the limits of the way football is both played and coached. At the end of the day, the event hopes to engage and empower the football analytics community to drive innovation. So it's essentially like a conference from my understanding of yeah. that quote mm. where all these guys, be it college, you know, interns or actual professionals, they get together and essentially they have, you know, a powwow of the analytical trends and kind of discuss what they think, you know, this team could do in this situation and things like that. Yeah. I mean, every year, uh, the kind of NBA and a lot of these other sports leagues revolve around the, uh, Sloan analytics conference. So, I imagine that the data bowl is kind of something similar, although in the form of a competition uh, a little bit, but it ultimately is uh, all about sharing ideas. So I think that that's, you know, a good thing to have Alex turn. Uh, the fact that he's led something like that and been involved, uh, that's definitely a good thing. And yeah, I, th I think when you get more minds, I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear Alex Stern or Shada going to the Sloan conference uh, eventually, because that's, you know, the yeah. other gathering of, all the nerds in front offices. So uh, that's what we should be trending to. That's awesome. Uh, this might be a tough question to answer, or not, depending whether you know it or not. Do the Saints, Packers, or Niners have an analytics department that you know of? I actually do not have any idea. Me neither. I, I assume they would. Yeah. Like, I assume I mean, most of the NFL probably has one, mm -hmm. depending on how big or small it is. Um, <laughs> but I, I would assume at least... You know, the, these Shanahan-style teams, like, they, they're very heavily predicated on analytics, mm -hmm. at least from my understanding. So it looks like Alex is looking it up maybe right now. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, I was just going to say, it seems like, I don't know, the Packers might not have one based on how they played in the championship game. But yeah. Fair enough. Yes. Good point. <laughs> and how they approach their roster construction, for sure. <laughs> I'm um, all for it. You know, even if the analytics is just going for it on fourth down more. Listen, we talked about Eric Weddle last episode. Without that game call on fourth down, that fake punt against the Chiefs, Chargers would not have made the playoffs in 2013. So I'm not saying you should always go for a, a safety sneak on a punt kick, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying advocating for that, but that aggressiveness can pay off. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, uh, just the one thing I found is that there is actually an Albert Breer article. It is a little bit outdated. That goes into how all 32 NFL teams handle analytics versus, you know, kind of the old school, as he hmm. says. Um, and then there actually was a survey from 2020 towards the beginning of the season where they talked about which teams uh, were the most analytically advanced as per a GM survey. Uh, and they did have the Ravens, Browns, uh, the eagles and the colts as sort of the uh, incorporating analytics most into decision making but of course those aren't the only teams that use analytics yeah cool that makes sense the colts being up there is is not surprising mm -hmm. at all um, especially with frank Reich. so um absolutely something to keep an eye on and, and you know once we're able to get some details on on who does what you know we'll be able to share those with you guys 
All right, so let's talk about Anthony Lynn's comments. You know, we're not going to dive too much into a lot of the, the topics of conversations on that thing because he's no longer on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some interesting things in terms of philosophy um, and just his general opinion about the Chargers that we wanted to touch on. So um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, or at least I have about my mindset of, you know, concerning rookie quarterbacks. Um, and one of the things that he said is that he, quote, I did not want to expose him, meaning Justin Herbert, too soon. I've seen what that has done to some top picks, especially at the quarterback position, and how sometimes those young men never recover because they're living in a day and age where media is just right there. I mean, social media and things spread, and some of these kids are just not mentally strong enough to overcome a lot of the negative vibes that they get early in their careers. I think that's pretty obvious when you look at that quarterback position. But Justin had to go in and play. We didn't have any choice. Tyrod got his lungs punctured. Justin found out as the ball was literally in the air. I'm grabbing Justin saying, you're the starter. You're the starter. And the way he handled that situation, I tell you what, he couldn't have handled it any better. So, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. What would you make of his comments about wanting to kind of protect Justin Herbert from the outside noise? Right, and I think it was partially the outside noise and also the fact that, you know, Justin Herbert, I put this on Twitter again, but, you know, he was drafted in the middle of a pandemic um, and then, you know, had basically like a three-week training camp it felt like last year uh, and no preseason games, right? Like, that was the situation he was going into. Um, And then you have a quarterback this year like Trey Lance who basically didn't play football almost all of 2020, Uh, And you have plenty of quarterbacks who, you know, have these either not gaps in their game per se, but gaps in their preparation and things that they need to work on. So, I mean, my kind of philosophy on that is that I still think, you know, we can revisit, you know, the past. But to me, uh, sitting Herbert was the right decision. Now, we'll never know how the season unfolds. Uh, if Tyron doesn't get his lung stabbed. So maybe that was the middle ground in between the sit him and uh, not sit him options. But, you know, uh, to me, it just felt like Herbert, if you watched him in college, like, you know, I know we like to do the thing where it's just like, oh, if you didn't like Herbert coming out of college, you're stupid now. Um, But, like, there were a lot of problems with his game. Like, I mean, (laughs) I remember sitting with Steven watching, you know, Oregon film uh, (laughs) on Zoom before I was even on this show as a member. (laughs) I I remember doing that. And so, you know, to me, uh, it's not specific to Herbert or any other quarterback, but I think there is something to be gained that, hey, if you're not, say, like a Trevor Lawrence, and by that I mean someone who's started a bunch of games and looks like a finished product, then there can be an advantage taken to just, uh, you know, taking a step back and, you know, waiting for the time. And uh, I remember Fernando came on the show last year and basically said if Herbert had a preseason, you know, he thinks that he would have started uh, out of the gate. So maybe that would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't have. But to me, I I didn't think there was really anything wrong with what Anthony Lynn said there. It's possible if he had a preseason, Anthony Lynn would still have a job. I mean, I think if he went out and had... Like, okay, against the Carolina Panthers, his first, like, actual true start, if you will, and some sort of game tape on him, he had one of the worst EPAs of the team, you know, according to Arjun and what he put out. So, I'm not saying that Herbert would have struggled against the backups and the third stringers or whatever, or second stringers, in the preseason, but if he he looked okay, let's say he played like he did against the Panthers in the preseason, would you have started him week one over Tyrod Taylor? And especially if Tyrod Taylor had a decent preseason? Probably not. Anthony might have still had a job. As far as, you know, putting him in, you know, obviously they didn't have a preseason, so 
you know, should they have put him in sooner? No, like I don't think you you should have. There's no way you could have known what you knew until you knew it. And you know, as far as like co- coaching for me goes, like when we do gymnastics, we teach them the basic you know routines or whatever. But we build the bonuses and the dangerous skills over the course of a year. We don't get them ready just for the first meet of the season for Judges Cup. We prepare them all the way, you know, months and months down the line for the dangerous and difficult skills at state and regionals and nationals and whatnot. So I kind of understand that, like, you know, you got to wait. Like, you got to get wait till this guy is ready. And frankly, when Herbert hit the field, he didn't look ready. It took him three games to finally be like, oh, there it is. But then again... Yeah. You know, based on how he was in college and based on everything we knew at the time, like, I think it was the right decision. And he didn't look completely prepared until he got to his third game. So you know, I, I still don't disagree with Lynn here. And everyone's like, oh, you know, he's so stupid for not starting him sooner. But I, I just don't see how you could have. But then again, what would that preseason have looked like? What did we all miss by not attending training camp? What did we all miss by not having a preseason? Because we just went from everything he was in like December and January to yeah. all of a sudden starting week two. And we didn't really have much to go off of other than, like you said, Fernando saying, hey, he looks pretty good. But otherwise, like I feel like he was kind of undercovered and we didn't know much about him. Like truly, I feel like uh, the yeah. sixth pick in the draft, was a quarterback was undercovered, in yeah. my opinion, by the media. I knew more about Bobby Hawley than I did Justin Herbert, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in hindsight... I would have just, you know, I would have sat Herbert. And that's based on him and the pandemic. Some quarterbacks, sure, like Joe Burrow, I probably would have started week one. Justin Herbert, I probably would have waited. The whole season, I'm not quite sure. But he would have had to show me he's ready in practice. And I don't know, was he ever? I'm not sure. You know, from the media standpoint, I, I, I always think it's interesting, like, looking back at hard knocks. And, like, mm. the only real Herbert coverage we got was – was him throwing into the nets that one, <laughs> yeah. that one time. And I'm like, if you look at other quarterbacks that are on hard knocks as a rookie, like he should have been getting way more coverage totally. on hard knocks than he did. And especially by the media mm-hmm. in general, it's my belief that unless you have like an established, really good veteran quarterback, that rookie quarterback should play mm-hmm. from the start. You know, Anthony Lynn has talked about several times that he wanted to kind of replicate the Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes thing. And it's like, well, people forget that Alex Smith was a really, really freaking good quarterback for Kansas city. Totally. Like he led the most efficient offense in the league for three or four years. They were in the playoffs, just, you know, had some whiffs in the playoffs, but they were a contender with Alex Smith and Tyrod Taylor is not in that, that same kind of category. You know, the same kind of conversations are being had right now in Chicago with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. And it's like, Andy Dalton is not Alex Smith. Like, Andy Dalton was a lousy, lousy quarterback last year. And so I think, in general, the rookie quarterbacks, if you take them in the first round, should start from day one. Obviously, you know, someone like Trey Lance, you know, that's a little more dicey. Justin Herbert last year without the preseason and things like that. It's a little more dicey. But my issue with Lynn's comments here is that our understanding was that they were going to have a competition that Tyrod was going to have to earn his spot as a starter and Justin was going to be able to have a chance. And it doesn't feel like that actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't feel like Justin Herbert got a chance to prove it. Like even in, you know, a not having preseason world, it didn't feel like Herbert got a chance to actually be in a competition. And, you know, that's kind of backed up recently by Keenan Allen saying that, you know, he hadn't even, he had barely caught, 
passes from Justin Herbert until that first game. So that's kind of my issue here with, with what Lynn is saying is that I understand, you know, pandemic and you want to be able to have him be prepared, but it just doesn't really feel like Lynn really gave Herbert a chance to earn it. Like even in limited practice reps and even in a limited training camp, it just, it, I don't know. I just feel like it was Tyrod's job as soon as the first preseason game was canceled. Yeah, and I do think Lynn kind of has a point about the media because I think the media now has gotten quicker in terms of, like, turning on people, uh, particularly quarterbacks. Uh, I saw this in the fall with Carson Wentz uh, because, to, to me, you know, and Carson Wentz had a historically bad year, but if Carson Wentz was playing 15 years ago, I honestly don't think that he would be out of Philadelphia right now because I think the media kind of covered things differently and there wasn't as much pressure building up on social media. Um, And I think that's also important, just remembering that all these guys are young. Uh, Also, from my city, I know Ben Simmons' brain is fried from five years of social media. Um, So, you know, I think that when you talk about somebody like Herbert or somebody like Burrow, somebody like Tua, like that hears that outside noise, uh, I yeah. do think that is kind of a big thing, and you're starting to see that with Tua now. Like, we imagine telling someone 15 years ago that you would draft a quarterback in the first round, and then there would be, like, serious discussion about, should we trade him? Like, <laughs> we, we were yeah. hearing that stuff about Tua, and, like, to me, that just wouldn't have happened because it felt like people had time to develop. Um, and that's just kind of... It is a thing now. Like, we do give quarterbacks those periods, but it feels like it happens... For, for a less and less amount of time. Um, and so that's kind of my thing with how the media works and how social media works now, just kind of dogpiling on some of these guys, and a lot of them are really young. Well, to your point about Tua, like, it wasn't just trade him. Like, a lot of people were saying that the Dolphins should have re-signed Fitzpatrick to start over Tua, and it's like, okay, now, like, what are we doing here? So I, I totally agree there. You know, it, it's definitely, you know, an instant gratification world, and to your point also everybody in the media hates Carson Wentz except for Dan Orlovsky who thinks he's like <laughs> winning MVP this year <laughs> so good times there um the next the other thing that Anthony Lynn here unless uh Tyler did you have anything else about this I just want to do I can't remember the situation exactly so I was just trying to look it up but how do you think the media would have responded if they took Herbert and sat him for two years and he didn't start until his third year like Philip Rivers and I'm curious what the media mm-hmm was like then because listen like you know it's not like rivers was taken you know 64th in the draft so yeah. i'm really curious what the media would have been like or what they were like with rivers sitting granted there's a very very different option in front of rivers but obviously right. you, know, you take a guy like what a funky situation that was well and it was like everybody talks about like oh the chargers made a mistake like letting drew Brees grow but it's like that was a really tough situation to be in. And, you know, his arm was also, like, supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Like, multiple NFL franchises said that he's never going to be the, able to throw a football again. Yeah. So, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you're winning, then, you know, that kind of solves everything and keeps issues on a hush-hush. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting that Anthony Lynn said uh, with Compass on the B, he said, quote, I've had time to reflect on my four years in L.A., and things that I would do differently if I had to do it all over again, and things that we did well. We did some things well. I felt like the organization was in better shape when we left than when we got it. So that's an interesting one because 
you know, the Chargers in 2017 versus Chargers in 2021. Do you think Lynn is right here? Do you think the Chargers are in a better spot now in terms of roster construction, in terms of whatever, versus in 2017? I think he's right. I mean, I think you talk about the whole franchise. Uh, remember that nobody wanted to take that job. Uh, yeah. From going from San Diego to L.A., the roster not being quite what it was and what it is now. Like, yeah, the reason everybody wanted the Chargers job this year is to work with Justin Herbert. You know, being in L.A. helped, but, like, the fact that they have all these weapons on offense and defense, um, you know, while we question the depth of the roster, like, that's why every single coach yeah. kind of wanted this job, whether it was Brandon Staley, whether it was Brian Dable, whoever it was, uh, was coming for it. And that just wasn't the case in 2017, partially because – uh, of the move but that was also a right. bit like of an older chargers team uh, i mean you know you had yeah. philip rivers there you had gates there um is that malcolm floyd's last year in 2016 i assume or yeah. i don't remember I yeah think floyd so. didn't play in la floyd was uh, yeah floyd, floyd, floyd just played only. in san diego but yeah i mean weddle left the team obviously um so i think that you know that was just kind of an older team and the, it kind of reached its point. Like they had some chances to make the playoffs and, and just didn't. So I think, you know, putting with Herbert and all these weapons, like the chargers are to me four years ago, they're in a much better position now. Um, and, you know, is that because of Lynn or is it because of Herbert? Um, I think it's much more because of Herbert in terms right. of positioning <laughs> for the future. But I do think, you know, everything you do hear about Lynn is that the players the players never quit on him, right? Like, yeah. so the, the fact that that never happened, uh, I think, is a good thing for the future, too, uh, as far as this coaching staff is going forward, right? A lot of these guys who have been on the team four or five years, like, their only coach has been Lynn. And from what we know, you know, not a great coach, but he was a good leader. Um, yeah. So I do think, to me, if you're comparing it to four years ago, they are in a better spot. Oh, man. How do I look at this? Are they better than they were when he started? Okay, so if I'm looking at the 2016 roster, and I am looking at it, like, she's <laughs> the receiving core of I'm not talking, like, 2021, all those additions don't count. Although I do feel bad that, I feel like Lynn and Telesco had the plan to Tyrod for a year, then let's go Herbert, and then let's all make these moves in 2021. And I think Lynn never really got a chance to, you know, see those moves carried out, although I don't know how much he would invest in the offensive line. But Okay, you know, is is Dontrell Inman, Tyrell Williams, and Travis Benjamin and Keenan Allen a worse or better quadruple threat than the, the, what they had last season? And Tyrell Williams had, you know, 1,000 yards that year. It was that year. You know, and then they drafted in 2016. Like, I'm not saying that Lynn draft, you know, rode the coattails of these guys, but in 2016, they drafted Bosa. They drafted Henry. They signed Casey Hayward. You know, they made a lot of really good moves, and I believe they also – oh, no, they didn't. They didn't have uh, Russell Okung then. But um, I don't know. Are they better because of Lynn? I don't know. Like to me, just that they reached a higher peak. There's no unquestionably. I think at their peak, their team, their best team, was better than any Mike McCoy team. I think hands right. down for sure. But by the time that they left, were they in any better hands? Like it just seems kind of like a wash to me. Like you have your quarterback, you had your quarterback, now you have your quarterback. You drafted an edge rusher. You still got that edge rusher. And I don't know. To me, it doesn't really seem all that different. Like, what was what was Lynn's mark that you can say that he, you know, other than the peak, of course, which is really good, but we're talking about beginning and end. And is the end point a whole lot different than the beginning? Not really. They didn't really establish anything different. There were still injuries. There was no sports science. There was no analytics. 
you know, in general, I'm pretty sure the wins losses overall wasn't a whole lot different than what Mike McCoy had. You know, they had a good first two years and dropped him or losing the last two years. The same thing McCoy did. So like, I don't know how much of a difference there was to me, to be completely honest. And I think part of this early success they had was because of rivers and then some of the good moves they made in 2016. Yeah, in terms of like the overall roster, like like Tyler's saying, I do think it, you know it's pretty similar. A lot, and there was a lot of carryover, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, so I, I get that side of things. I will say, the one thing that I'll always give credit to Anthony Lynn for is is the the culture and the leadership that he established. Because I, I think we all remember Mike McCoy press conferences and. Uh. Like Anthony Lynn's this year were were pretty bad, but for a different reason, right? <laughs> but Mike McCoy was just like, "Why is this person a head coach?" Like it was mm. just mind blowing how unprepared and just like there was no energy, there was no yeah. like positivity coming from him, and so it was just really like culture wise, it was hard to watch the Chargers with under Mike McCoy, and you know Alex mentioned Eric Weddle like. That's that's kind of like the shining example, but that's what the culture was. It was a lot of mm-hmm. talks. There was a lot of toxic vibes coming from the franchise. So the one thing I will say about Anthony Lynn is that you know, the culture that he established was very very positive. There was some yeah, great leadership there, and you know if Mike McCoy were leading the team last year, man, I, I think it would have been like two and fourteen. Like it would have been so hard to watch mm-hmm. that team go into the season every single year or every single game. So. Yeah. I will give Anthony Lane credit there, but like we said from the beginning, this team needed a severe like analytics and X's and O upgrade from the Anthony Lane era. So there, there's definitely positives and negatives to what Anthony Lane was able to do as the Chargers head coach. Mm-hmm. But I, the Chargers are in a better direction, but almost because they fired him. <laughs> well. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, you know, they're in a better spot four years ago because of Anthony Lynn. I, I'm right. not necessarily right. claiming True. that, but if you're just straight up asking me, you know, almost in a kind of like presidential, in a appro- <laughs> right, in a, in a vacuum, a presidential like approval poll, like, yeah, I mean, on a technical level, they are in a better place than they were four years ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, not so much on the field, but culture wise, I do think he did do uh, a good job in terms of Absolutely. turning around where the franchise was uh, and where it had to go because uh, truly I don't believe you know we can debate whether the Los Angeles move has been successful because in some ways it has and in some ways it hasn't been but I think it would have been a lot rockier had it not been for Anthony Lynn and instead we had Matt Patricia I don't know (laughs) like I think that could have been a lot worse Uh, so you know uh, to to me you know Lynn they you know he deserved to be moved on from uh, and I think they made the right decision moving on from him. But I do also think he deserves some credit for, you know, some positioning. Would yeah, tw- absolutely. I th- Go ahead, Tyler. Would the 2017 Chargers beat the 2020 Chargers? I, yeah. I can yeah. go down the list, and I actually think they would. I think they would, too. I'd have to look more in-depth at the roster, I honestly. I mean, because they, they won, like, nine of their last... It was kind of like the last season we had, where they yeah. started zero and four, and they had finished nine and yeah. seven. That was a so, Lynn's. That was Lynn's first year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, yeah. without the young way Koo mess, like that team, you know, I, I hate the shoulda, woulda, coulda mentality, but you know, that team really was, you know, a kick here, a kick there, away from being, you know, an eleven win team. So, 
Um, I think the 27 team, it's different, obviously, because last year's team was so, so young after all the injuries and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is what it is. But can, speaking, guess, spe- I was just going to say, speaking of shoulda, woulda, coulda, can we mention Derek Carr real quick? Uh, who said that they were three or four wins away from being a 12-win team? I know. <laughs> after coming one play away from losing to the Jets? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. I just had to get that out there. Well, because I, I tweeted about this, and I, and I do, like, I hate that mentality after the season of, like, well, we we were a bounce here and a bounce there away from being a playoff team. It's like, yeah, but you were also a bounce here and a bounce there from being like a three win team. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people have said that about the chargers last year who like defended Anthony Lynn were, well, you know, if this happens, they could have won here and here. And it's like, yeah, but you know, if this happens, you know, if Marcus Mariota doesn't throw the ball right into Isaac Rochelle's hands, <laughs> they lose that game. So, you know, it is like, it goes both ways. And I think not enough people recognize that, the negative totally. possibility there is mm-hmm. also true because, you know, like Alex mentioned, the Raiders and the Jets game. And, you know, the NFL, it, it's really about winning single single score games. Like, that's what separates the great teams from the bad teams. And the bad teams are always like, whoa, we were, we were so close to being a playoff team. It's like, but you weren't. Close doesn't count. Thank you to my yeah. gymnastics coach for driving the anxiety into my brain that I always had to win <laughs> or it didn't matter. Pre-Ricky Bobby. Pre-Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to move on now to our linebacker conversation. I think there's obviously a lot of uh, you know positivity coming for, coming about this group, and we've talked about them a little bit. Um, obviously, it's going to be different than what Brandon Staley had last year when he didn't really have any good linebackers. So I just did a film breakdown on the Bears linebackers. That's Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith. And kind of what we can expect in terms of X's and O's, their pass coverage responsibilities, and things like that. So that's up on our YouTube channel. Make sure and check that out. Um, Tyler, what's your biggest question mark or concern about this linebacker group? And, you know, what maybe defines their season? By golly, what position group have we not started with where we don't say, oh, God, I hope they're staying healthy the entire year? I'm pretty sure we can make the case for every True. single one. So aside from that and aside from Tranquil, who I think you are about to do a breakdown on, so I'll kind of leave that to you. My question is, and not that this will define their season or anything, but I want to see what Kaiser White does as the other pass rusher Staley could bring off the edge. And I was looking back at some of your old tweets and breakdowns about Kaiser White, and he looked good coming off the edge. And you know, last year among linebackers was at least 10 snaps, pass rush snaps. Amazingly, Denzel Perryman and Kaiser White were both in the top eight in pass rush productivity. <laughs> now, which, Classic. I mean, of course, right? And again, yeah. a reason I missed Denzel Perryman. But, you know, White only on 17 pass rush snaps. He still had four pressures, two hits, and a sack. You know, and so the team kind of needs that low snap but high efficiency sort of spark that Perryman was. And I'd love to see Kaiser White possibly take that role like i know it's different obviously he's not going like i don't think kaiser white's playing inside linebacker anytime soon as long as the other two are on the field and i guess that was the same for perryman but you know some sort of rotation here pass rush there i'd love to see what he can do because you know derwin james i'm not saying he took away from kaiser white's performance but you know when when both started as rookies kaiser white had a really good game against the chiefs and he had a really good game against the bills and he was on his way and then he got hurt and he's just never yeah. quite found it since. So, yes, I guess I am circling back to health. Can he stay healthy? And let's see him as a pass rusher because, you know, I think that would be a, certainly a, a great weapon for Staley to use. 
Yeah, for me, uh, obviously, we talk about injuries in depth all the time uh, for every breakdown, it feels like, (laughs) (laughs) just because that's what this team is. But for me, my biggest question is usage, uh, and that's what I kind of asked Robert Mays uh, about Mm. when we had that conversation with him of the linebackers, um, just because they didn't really use their linebackers much in the Rams. And, you know, the, the question is, is that about talent? Is that about personnel? Or is that kind of about the scheme as well? Um, so, you know, for me, I kind of think the answer is a little bit in the middle there, but I do Mm. think that Brandon Staley does prioritize the first and third levels of the defense. Um, I mean, he, he sure talked about it to depth in terms of, you know, meeting with, uh, the, the first and, and third levels quite a bit, uh, his secondary and his defensive line. So, uh, yeah, I'll just be curious to see, you know, is he going to use them in a way that is, you know, putting them in position to make plays or do they sort of play uh, to the flow of the defense, right? Meaning they sort of go where everyone else is going or, you know, are they going to be put in specific spots? And I think Kenneth Murray obviously can be used as a pass, uh, pass rusher. We've seen that before uh, in the Patriots game last year. Like they're going to use him, um, Denzel Perriman, that's somebody that I haven't thought about in a while just because he's been off the team and he's in Carolina, but it's like kind of someone I would, yeah, it's kind of someone I wish was still on this team, uh, a little bit just in terms of, uh, we've talked about their weaknesses in the run game and like how bad they were whenever Denzel Perriman or Justin Jones didn't play. Uh, so, you know, Denzel Perriman is somebody that I think you can make a real case for them kind of missing him, but again. He would have been a depth player, and, and there were sort of some injury concerns. So, you know, I kind of understand it. But I, I do think, yeah, depth is, is definitely a question mark just because, you know, they really have probably four guys that I trust to play some snaps, and then everybody else is kind of like, well, they'll chip in when they do, but I'm not sure how this is going to go. So, yeah, for, for me, the biggest question is usage and how that's going to go, and Go watch Steven's video. I haven't uh, got a chance to watch it yet, but I will. Uh, I made the thumbnail for it, so uh, <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will get a chance to watch it. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, for me, it's usage and the depth. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out the usage because it is it is going to be super interesting, and we've talked about this because, you know, Brandon Staley, like, he recognized the weakness on the roster, and he pivoted to a strength of the roster on the Rams. And so... Vic Vangio did not do that. Vic Vangio is very much a traditionalist. Like, I need my two linebackers on the field at all times, it seemed like. Hmm. And it was, you know, it was really interesting because Danny Trevathan is awful, like, lousy in pass coverage. And, you know, the the uh, inside linebackers for this specific scheme, like, they're not asked to cover receivers all that much. Like, they had to you know, under Gus Bradley's scheme, like we're not going to see Drew Tranquil motion out and follow Tyree kill into the slot and cover him. Like I watched happen recently, which was so frustrating. Um, but you know, they do have to cover, right? It, it's just mostly they cover the tight ends, the running backs, the flats, you know, the short to intermediate range over the middle. But even a team that was as bad as the Cardinals in 2018, like they were able to expose Danny Trevathan and his, you know, lack of ability to be efficient in, in coverage because, you know, if you turn on that game from 2018, David Johnson had a field day going oh, against David against Danny Trevathan. So it's just going to be interesting to see, like, how that balances out because Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil are absolutely better than anything that Staley had last year. But I think if you hear him talk, he recognizes that the best the – 
the best way to stop opposing offenses is to limit the explosive passing game or passing plays. And it's really hard to do that in the NFL today with having two inside linebackers on the field at all times. So, you know, how much are these players on playing on the field? Because Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith, they logged 2,000 combined snaps for the Bears in 2018. So I don't think we're going to see that high of usage for those two players, but I don't necessarily think that it's going to be as low as what Staley had with the Rams last year either. Right. Um, I, I wanted to get in here and ask another question because the coaching staff seems to have been fascinated by uh, Ogbong Bumiga. And that was someone up until we did that roster breakdown episode. I didn't seriously consider making the team at all, um, you know, until we heard those kind of comments uh, from, you know, Ronaldo Hill and Brandon Staley and the rest of the um, defensive staff. So I sort of wonder, you know, I we kind of did the roster predictions episode already, but in terms of Neiman and Ogbong Bumiga as kind of the new additions, how playable are they in, in year one is also a question for me. God, I hope. Okay, no, no I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to be that PFF guy who says this. So you know what? I don't think that Ogbong Bamiga will be quite as ready early on, and I don't know how much he'll be asked to do outside of special teams. Right. But I'm very, very interested in Nick Neiman, who is a guy that I – I mean, Kaiser White's in a contract year. I'm not saying that they're the exact same kind of guys – I'm not really sure White where White fits in this defense. Neiman is going to be your inside linebacker and, and special teams guy. I think Neiman's going to have a good year. I don't know. I just this gut feeling about him. I think it's because it was slightly a running joke. Also because I picked him in our mock <laughs> draft and he ended up making the team. Uh, so maybe I just <laughs> like him a little bit more. But I have a good feeling about him. So I think he can contribute early yeah. on. And he's going to because he can cover. I don't think Ogbong can be... Dang, I'm the first one to mess it up. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think Ogbon Bumiga can cover as well as Neiman, so I do think Neiman's going to have a bigger impact right. early on. Well, I mean, Neiman kind of has to, too. I mean, he, he's the fourth linebacker really on the depth chart right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's kind of going to have to yeah. play uh, at any rate. Yeah, I, I think he'll play every, you know, a little bit here and there, you know, depending on, on who's healthy or not. But I, I think, you know, outside of everything that we've already talked about, I, I think one question that I have is really – What's the ceiling for the Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray combination? Because, and, and, you know, how does that play out between their ceiling and their floor? Because I think everybody's really excited about the pairing, and rightfully so. You know, I, you know, I think there's a lot of things athletically that Kenneth Murray is going to be able to do and bring a lot of, you know, electric plays to this team and, and potentially make that leap. Um, but, you know, Drew Twinkle has had a lot of injuries over the last few years. You know, he had the, the ankle last year. He tore his ACL in college. So I, I think, you know, two of the best things that Tranquil does are his ability as a cover linebacker and his ability in space. Like, he is an insane tackler in space, and he, he, it, he never misses. So I, I think they balance out each other well. But what's the ceiling for these two? Like, do either of these have the ability or the, you know, potential to be, you know, a Pro Bowl player this year? Or are they is the best case scenario for these two players just that they end up being above average? And is that good enough? Like, that's kind yeah. of where my head's at with these two players. That's a good question. Uh, let me ask you then, what would you grade the tandem of Trevathan and uh, Roquan Smith in that year? I don't know if that was a good year for them in general or... Well, Roquan, that was his rookie year. Yeah. And so he definitely had some growing pains, but he's so similar to Kenneth Murray, man. Okay. Like, 
the ability to go sideline to sideline, make plays as a pass rusher, the two of them are very, very similar. Mm. Um, Danny Trevathan, his his ability is very similar to like Denzel Perryman. Like he's okay. going to come up and he'll smack your pulling guard. He'll smack the center. Like he'll make his physical presence known. Mm-hmm. But like I said, total liability in pass <laughs> coverage. So, but I mean, he was he was so so good against the run. And I think that's like my biggest concern with these two players is yeah. their ability against the run because, you know, that's what the, that's where they're going to miss Denzel Perryman to be honest with you because like we saw against Mackay Becton, Denzel Perryman is not afraid to come up and just smack an, an offensive lineman, even if he's not going to make the tackle. Like he's going to make somebody, you know, feel his presence. And I don't like Kenneth Murray is physical. But it's a different kind of physical. Like I, I don't think either of these players mm-hmm. are the kind of players to come up and you know take on a blocker, smack that blocker, and you know let someone else make the play. Like I think both of these players, they're more like shifty shedding blocks, if that makes sense. They're yeah. not necessarily, you know, the old school. Like I'm just gonna take someone head on, and I'm gonna win this collision, like Denzel Perryman was. Yeah, and I mean, Denzel Perriman wasn't afraid to get in Tom Brady's face and, you know, be at risk for drawing a 15-yard penalty because that's yeah. all it takes when you're around him. Uh, so, yeah, he, he wasn't afraid of the contact, and I, I think that that's going to be something to watch. You know, last year when it came to Drew Tranquil, I, I was kind of in on the breakout player hype. I mean, you just saw him do everything pretty well whether it was uh playing special teams initially mm. then you know uh being a really good tackler like steven mentioned it just kind of felt like you know last year was gonna be the year until it wasn't uh unfortunately with the ankle injury and right. you know obviously the chargers had a ton of injuries last year derwin james is probably the one where we go oh you know what would his season have been if he played you know and, and that kind of stuff but second on that list might be true tranquil for me just because it's like, okay, you know, this was a guy who came off, a, had a really solid foundation, uh, and then was going to be able to, you know, play in this defense. And it was still the Bradley system, and maybe right. there would have been a couple plays where he had to go follow Tyreek Hill deep um, <laughs> again. But, um, you know, I, I do think that he, he was sort of primed for that. So I, I am excited to see both him and Kenneth Murray so, sort of in respectively their year twos. Uh, and, and kind of what they do. It's tough. This is such an accident waiting to happen with the whole damn team. But <laughs> it sucks because, okay, if you don't have your linebackers, let's say Staley just, you know, Tranquil goes down, White goes down, and you no longer have, you know, some linebackers. So you rotate, rotate in some more DBs. But then they set themselves up to not have any DBs to rotate in. So it just seems like a train wreck waiting to happen. So I, I, don't, I hope that sports science team is ready to go because I think it's just an accident waiting to happen between, you know, those two groups. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like we've been talking about injuries and death of like, oh, can this can they withstand a Limbaugh Joseph injury? It's like, well, this is the whole roster at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is the whole roster, other than quarterback. Yeah, Ugh. but you know, I'm just kind of looking at the PFF grades and and stats for linebackers right now, and I don't know, like it, it's a very top heavy position, like in terms mm. of the whole league, like in terms of duos. Like, outside of Levante David and Devin White, there aren't, like, any great duos. Like, I I guess you could maybe make an argument for um, the Saints. You know, they have um, Demario Davis, and I forget his his other name. I'm totally blanking right now. 
But, you know, you've got, you know, none of these duos are, like, that great. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at, like, what Denver has right now. Like, they've got Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson, two solid players. But I I think, you know, the Chargers, this specific duo can be better than solid if they stay healthy. So, I don't know. It's just curious to look at, like, well, how how good can this duo be? And, like, how involved are they going to be, like Alex was talking about? A lot of questions. Please get the preseason here. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that point, we're only a few weeks away. So, you know, I'm, I wrote an article for LAFB about the Saints passing attack and, and what to look for there. So I just can't wait to, like, see this all come together. Because, like, I, I think, like, I'm no expert, obviously. But, you know, I, I think I have a, a solid baseline understanding of what this team is going to look like in terms of scheme. Mm-hmm. But I just need to see it, man. Like, the, that little clip of, of Brandon Staley talking about, the you know, the specific packages or whatever that they have planned for Kenneth Murray, like, it just gets me so excited because, you know, he was one of the players – there were so many. But Kenneth Murray was one of the players where I just – he wasn't being used the right way. And he wasn't mm-hmm. – you know, they were not planning to his specific skill set. So the fact that Brandon Staley is planning for that specific skill set – you know, it just gets me really fired up to talk about Kenneth Murray because I thought he had a, you know, he had a, an up and down rookie season, but the tail end, the last half of the season, was so so good for Kenneth Murray, and I'm gonna do a breakdown for him as well. But uh, just really excited to see this duo and the whole thing, you know, come together. Can't wait to watch the breakdown. Yeah. Can't wait to watch it. <laughs> All right, guys. Any other thoughts here before we uh, wrap up today's show? Uh, not many. I just wanted to say that because preseason is coming up, we are uh, considering doing uh, some preseason uh, live pods uh, at the uh, probably that San Francisco week because I know Tyler is going to that uh, Rams game and we're giving away a ticket for that. But uh, that second Niners week and maybe the Seattle week, uh, we will be doing a preseason live pod, so that will be up. Uh, I will stay up until 10 or 11 o'clock <laughs> on the East Coast, probably at midnight uh, when that preseason game ends. But, uh, yeah, just stay tuned for that. I think one of the preseason games is, like, Saturday at, like, 2.30 Pacific time. <laughs> like, the times are super weird because of the yeah. preseason. Yeah. Uh, but we'll definitely keep you guys posted when that happens. Yeah, no, I can't wait to do all of that and finally see everybody that – you know, a lot of people have said, hey, let's go have a beer or something. So, I uh, can't wait. Yeah, so other exciting news, kind of. You know, Tyler and I, we've had a relationship for like four years and we've never met. Uh, next week, we're going to be able to meet, hopefully. Oh, yeah, Stephen's my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> a friendship, not a relationship. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Working relationship. Four-year anniversary, you two. <laughs> it's been nice. So, you know, once Alex finishes med school up, we'll be able to hopefully meet the three of us, you know, once he's back in the States. But um, all right, guys, that's going to do it for us today. As always, make sure and leave us a rating or review comment. Let us know what you think about, you know, the ceiling of Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil or, you know, what Anthony Lynn said. We're always open to uh, discussing those things. Alex does a great job responding to comments on YouTube. So uh, make sure and let us know and we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.